Hey, welcome to the Extra Podcast. My name is Daniel Mark, and I'm joined around the table by Jeff Bucknam. Hello. And the doctor. <laughs> Julius Irving? Wow. wow. No, God, the doctor, Kyle <laughs> the Meeker. The doctor, Kyle Meeker. Kyle, I don't know if there's anybody in the world who's less like Julius Irving than you. I actually was talking to Caden about, I had an Caden old- Caden is who? Caden's my son, 12 years old. Um, he likes basketball, so they were talking about an old basketball game. I can't remember. I think it was called One on One, and it was Dr. J versus Larry Bird. And it was this, it was from you know like 35, or 35 years ago. And the graphics were horrible. Yes. Although you could break the backboard. I remember on this a dunk game. occasionally. Yeah. And, and Dr. J was usually the guy to dunk and break the backboard. Yeah. Only sports games, though, Kyle. No shooting games, right? Yeah, I do enjoy the sports games more than quite the a shooting bit. games. Yeah. Can we have a short moment, though, prior to the beginning of our podcast? And for those of you who don't like the waffle at the beginning, you could probably just fast forward. But can we talk for a moment about the about the uh, Winter Olympics just for a moment? Because yeah. I was put on the other day to uh, a video of the 1988 Winter Olympics in Calgary where they where they debuted ski ballet. And where is so it now? Do you know what it is? It's like a, you're on a like with well, a bunny hill, you know, the little green, the green slopes up at uh, whatever the hill is that you like skiing on. And the guy or the woman, they do like spins and jumps, like basically like like ice skating on the bunny hill. So this is begged a question for me that there how how are some of these uh, sports I know this has been talked about several times, but it's like because they don't have a lot of sports in the Winter Olympics, they always kind of have to create new ones. So if and but they're not that creative with new ones. It's so if because everybody likes the ice skating and ice dancing stuff, which I don't really know the difference between, except I think I was told that the pairs ice skating, you can't lift. You you don't wait the ice dancing. You can't lift somebody up over your shoulders. That's the difference. Apparently one of them flips are illegal. Yeah. So that's so there's a whole new sport, apparently. That's completely different. Just like swimming in the winter, summer Olympics. So if you swim 50 meters, that's one. But then 50 to 100, we'll give another gold medal to somebody who does 100 meters. And then 200 meters. Like, come on. Really? We should have, it should just be one gold. But you get one gold medal for like winning at basketball or hockey. So you the whole tournament, there's one gold medal given. So did you hear the- That makes no sense. Jeff, the story, the gold medal snowboard halfpipe guy, Sean White. Dude, he was awesome though. Did you um, see that? Well, I didn't see it, but I heard the story behind Holy it. smokes. Where he, the guy ahead of him executed like a perfect trick. Yeah. And it's the hardest trick to do. Yeah. And the only way he could beat him- is if he did that trick twice. And he'd yeah. never before in his life attempted it. Uh-uh. And he, right. so he said, whatever, I'm at the gold medal. He went down, did the flip, landed it, went up the other side and did the exact same trick and landed it. And uh, yeah. he won gold. Isn't that amazing? It was like the last a, run of his, it was the last run too. He was, he like, he, he was in the silver medal position, but yeah. he, he came through. It's like a movie. I think it was the only. It is a movie. I think that was the only uh, Olympic gold medal that the U.S. has won though. Right. Kyle, you're an American. How do you feel about uh, your nation's failure to, to to master the Winter Games? I actually haven't been following the Olympics that like, closely this year. Like apparently the, re- been able the to rest get, of the United it. States apparently hasn't been following it either. So what's amazing yeah. is the how Russia is kicked out of the Olympics. But they're O-R-A, O-A-R now. Yeah, the or, uh, organized athletes of Russia. Yeah. 
who are beating America. So why is that? I don't understand why that's a bad thing, though, for them. Like, how is it that they're being punished? That they don't wear red? They wear the same stuff that they would have worn had they been the Russian athletes, but they just don't have the little flag on. That's it? Yeah, I think that. And everybody knows they're from Russia, though. The individual gets the recognition, but the recognition doesn't transfer on to the nation. But who's recognizing the nation? So the nation is there some big tally? Is there some place somewhere? Bronze tally. Like the tabulation of, you know, who, what, what nation gets the most medals. They're out of the running. But who keeps track? Really? Do we keep track? We keep track of what nation has the most medals. Isn't it right now like Norway winning everything? Yeah, they have a lot of medals. Apparently because they don't have competition. They just like to go out there and have fun. It's all Mm -hmm. about friendship and fun. And they're going to have a good time. And they are having a good time because they're winning gold medals. We're joined here by Kyle Meeker, pastor of discipleship. He's a friend of the show. Yeah, long time listener. You're a long time, but you've been on here before. Yeah, I've been on. Back in the wild west Off and on. Yeah. Back when I was just a mere uh, high school student uh, under your tutelage, and I would turn into the extra podcast. Yeah, look look how far he's come. Yeah, now, Kyle. I would tune into the extra podcast <laughs> when I was feeling sad, and uh, it was rainy outside. And, here and I would listen to Kyle Meeker's voice and his knowledge, and I said, "Man, if I want to do what Kyle's doing, I want to follow in his footsteps," and that's why I'm in immerse. And so, the and the podcast that you know he's displaced you, Kyle. Yeah. The, the student has become the teacher, and that's every teacher's dream, actually. Really? Kind I guess a, so. It sounded good. <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's like the. All right, but Kyle, so you you run the immerse program though. Why don't you give people a little chat about what you're doing in the church these days? Is it just running immerse or your discipleship also? What is immerse, Kyle? Yeah, so Immerse is uh, a pastoral training program that's connected with uh, Acts Seminary, um, Northwest Baptist and MB Seminary at Acts at Trinity Western University. So it's a on-site pastoral training um, program where students get a master divinity degree while they're in the ins and outs, ups and downs of the, the ministry calendar. So they're serving at churches, they're doing assignments and studies on the side of that, along with that, in order to, at the end of that time, have a Master of Divinity degree. So it's and actually an accredited Master yeah. of Divinity degree. Yeah. This isn't just one that you write on a, you know, one of those Microsoft Word templates, that, you know, finished, right. like, this a is, finisher. <laughs> this is not a, a degree by mail order. This okay. is a degree that takes a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Or is it, I guess, Daniel, could you uh, attest to that? A little bit of blood, a little bit of tears. Okay, not, not much sweat yet? Um. A little bit of sweat. Okay. A little bit of sweat. Um, but yeah, the idea is to have um, some, you know, rigorous and robust academic, you know, depth, but also have some really good practical training along the way where uh, someone graduates and they not only know the scriptures and some of the academic um, questions and issues around um, God and life and ministry, but they have had a practical experience in in ministry um, so it's it's a goal to train people through that that uh, that model, and we're blessed to have a number of students in that program. Daniel, you're in the you're in the immerse program. Mm-hmm. How have you found it? You've been what? It's six months, seven months. Yeah, it? since September. It's awesome. I I'm loving it so far. What do you like about it? I the practical hands on stuff is remarkable because one of the things that's really helpful about it is you learn things. And you, you're basically applying it right away. Mm. So you'll read something in a book, and then that's in, in your thought process all week. And you, as you meditate on that, and then you show up to community group, 
And um, that comes in my mind again, and I'm sharing this at community group and being able to teach my community group and then incorporate some of those things into, you know, developing as a preacher with the young adults and then the Sunday night service. I just think about where I was, you know, a year ago in my abilities and feeling like, man, I'm feeling way more confident and, um, you know, starting to find my voice a bit and start to get the flow of things. And I wouldn't have gotten that had I gone to a more traditional seminary. That was one of the reasons that you, you got me onto this, Jeff. You said if I went to your guys' alma mater, Dallas, mm-hmm. right, that uh, I would get no practical experience. I would leave there with lots of, you know, head knowledge. Yeah, so right? we're but, big fans of Dallas Seminary and several other traditional seminaries. Kyle which is I. why but, I wanted to But go. at the same time, the the weakness of the traditional seminary is that it doesn't, te- it doesn't tend to provide the kind of uh, immediate outworking. So even guys in traditional seminary, there are several who are doing part-time work in, in local churches to get that edge. Uh, we, we've just basically merge those things together here. The, the challenge that we have ultimately, I think, is the academic rigor, although I think that we're, we're trying to make that happen. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's been good. I mean, I've enjoyed the, the process already. Immerse is a great program because we can, I mean, it's, there's a lot of flexibility in it, which is fantastic. And it's outcome-based, Kyle. What does that mean? Yeah, so a traditional model would be based on a semester schedule and you do assignments, exams, write papers and learn and and show proficiency in that topic and get a grade and then move on to the next class, the next set of courses, the next semester. Um, That has a lot to say for it. There's a lot of depth you can go into um, in that kind of a model. Um, But outcome-based doesn't look so much at completing... um, an assignment for a grade as much as, as forming a certain outcomes within the students. You so, have to have a proficiency in the things that you are studying in order to move on. Yeah. So the grading isn't about um, a main paper or exam. The grading is about the, the student the person. Um, so that includes their knowledge of the issues there, but also their character and skill. So outcome based as a lot, as a way to look at uh, a little bit more of a holistic um perspective of the student and their, their, their life, their love for God, their love for others, um, as well as their ability within ministry so that their, their skills are progressing. And that's the outcome that we're shooting for and striving for with the students is to have them attain these outcomes. And that's when they, they attain that specific, um, that specific outcome. There's 27 different outcomes that uh, are so 20, 27 out. So you're saying that pa- a pastor, somebody that you would recommend a ministry and would grant the degree master of divinity mm-hmm. should have 27 marks, 27 outcomes anyway, in their, in their ministry, at least that's the number. And so the students are working toward those 27. Some right. of them, they're further along than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that the amount of work that they will have to do in those areas will be less. Right. So if they already have a lot of proficiency in certain areas, then like then well, give me an can, area that they um, like learning the scriptures is is uh, one outcome, a title of an outcome that includes um, obviously knowing the content of the Bible, uh, but also being adept at understanding the interpretation of scripture and, and the different issues that are involved in that. Um, but it's not simply learning the scriptures as an academic exercise, uh, but it's 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 holistic. So it's looking at how are the scriptures forming the student and their character and how are the scriptures 
informing what the student does in ministry, whether it's a small group conversations with friends, yeah. counseling contexts, um, teaching. Uh, so this idea of learning the scripture as an outcome is then spelled out into uh, aspects of knowledge, character, and skill that we uh, are encouraging the students to strive for and to build and on. There's a team of mentors that are making mm-hmm. those evaluations. Yeah. So you are like partnered with a pastor that is overseeing your ministry. In Daniel's case, Andy so, Steiger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he's also got an academic mentor, somebody who's well, got the academic, academic mentor is Kyle. Yeah, mm-hmm. who's got and then academic qualifications who yeah. can give some feedback to how well you're actually doing the papers and the speeches and that sort of stuff. And then you have a network mentor. Yeah, which is somebody who's out, usually outside the church or somebody who's got connections all over the place who can help you understand that your particular ministry that you're doing right now has like to give you some framework for other pieces in it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of them are elders in our church. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. So the immerse model was um, the that's the the Northwest Baptists had started it, and they um, came up with this idea, um, tested it with their in their own denomination, um, got it, you know, developed it, got it approved by the Association of Theological Schools as an, an approved academic program, and so there are 27 outcomes within immerse. Uh, and one of the core parts of it is those three mentors yeah. that help the student along the way um, develop their their knowledge and but also their their character and skills so that mm-hmm. they can attain those outcomes. And then it's it's big work in developing the future of the church. It is. Can I uh, can I ask you wh- why somebody should do the the immerse program as opposed to to another seminary? degree and what makes Northviews in particular, Kyle, different than others? Because there are other people who are offering immersed programs. Like if you're a Baptist church in somewhere in BC is affiliated with the Fellowship Baptist and Northwest Baptist Seminary, you can take on an immersed student, which means that that person can, while they're doing ministry at your church, they can get their Master of Divinity degree over a period of whatever, 10 years if they want in many cases, right? But we don't do that as much. We right, some so of that. Immerse but. is a, as a skeleton in a sense with um, you know, 27 outcomes that can be tailor-made for a specific organization or church um, and with the three mentors really uh, integrated in that. So I think there are nine or 10 different Immerse iterations that Northwest has been um, instrumental in helping different organizations develop. Um, so they have the skeleton of you know, these the outcomes um, and these mentors, and then the organization can flesh that out, so to speak, as as specifying aspects within those outcomes that they really want to emphasize. Right. Uh, so we have looked at these different outcomes, and one of the core things, that if I would just sum it up in a phrase, one of the core things we want to equip people um, with is that we want them to be apt to teach in that they um, their character reflects what the scripture calls us to um, and they know uh, people as uh, individuals but they also know culture well enough that they can connect people and their cultural understandings um, and even their biblical misunderstandings with the truth of scripture um, so if apt to teach is kind of one of the main goals is one of the things that identifies us um, not that other groups don't do that but that's kind of a, a core um, so the pro- central the program we, we run the Daniel's in though that's uh Daniel's in one that actually has a time limit on it right so we've made um, the pastoral interns we've uh, made this a three-year program for them to be a part of uh, a traditional MDiv degree um, 
is a three-year degree if you take it full-time. So they are, they're studying, but they're also working. The work hours aren't, you know, the full 40 hours that cut back a bit in order to leave room for the, the schoolwork and the academic end of things to progress well um, in order to have this hybrid model work for the three-year program. And their MDiv is the the schooling is paid for by the church is in in kind of in recompense for the work that they're doing. Plus, they get a a small stipend. Yep, Um, supplies um, and that they need as far as books and resources are supplied. uh, Small stipend, and so the idea is to not anything to get rich on, but enough to hopefully you know get by on and live on, and uh, as extra motivation to to get through. So you can finish the Daniel. Ideally, Daniel would finish his. MDiv in a few years. Yeah, three years. And he would have an MDiv in his hand and he would not have debt. And have a small library. And well, he'd have the library books and stuff. So right. he'd be he'd be prepared for the ministry in that regard. Yeah, so wherever God calls people after those, those three years, um, we're happy to, um, yeah, we want to see God expand his kingdom. And if he can use this program to equip um, some leaders along the way, um, yeah, that's just great. We're really yeah. thrilled about that. Kyle, I love it. And uh, speaking of expanding the kingdom, Jeff, you were just at Multiply Conference. Why don't you let us know what that is? Uh, Multiply Conference is put on by the uh, by the CDC Network, which is uh, the one of the big church planting networks in Canada. We are have been a part of it in several several points. I was on the board for the CDC Network for a while, and. Uh, been involved in church planning since I've actually, since I moved to British Columbia, not by planning churches, but have been, uh, in some cases, we've resourced church plants and we have been involved in the discussions around church planting a bit. And we, I mean, honestly, we replanted a church up in, up in the mission and have also been involved with uh, tri- the planting of church in Tri-City in uh, Port Coquitlam. So anyway, the Multiply Conference has as its goal to try to get pe- get people and churches to buy into the idea that we want to plant gospel-centered churches around the area, that we want to multiply what we're doing. So healthy churches multiplying into other healthy churches, multiplying into other healthy churches. And it's the belief of the Multiply Conference that, and many of us who are involved in leaders, I'm not in the leadership of Multiply Conference by any means, but many of us who are involved in that world believe that this is the way that we can actually make disciples in Canada, more of them is through the multiplication of gospel-centered churches in our regions and all around the country. So that's actually what I think our main thing as a church is, actually. We're called to make disciples. How are we going to do that? We're going to multiply gospel-centered churches around Canada. We're also going to be a gospel-centered church ourselves that can be multipliable. Is that a word? Multiplying? Yeah. Multipliable? Yeah. So basically this conference is just uh, two days in Vancouver. happens every year. And uh, it's just a chance to get together and talk both a little bit about vision, about like why we why we would do this and that sort of stuff. But a lot like nuts and bolts stuff, you know, about outreach, about evangelism, about church planting, about uh, multi-site, multi-venue, multi-whatever, what what the challenges are in multiplication, that kind of stuff. So talking Canada-wide then, or even BC-wide, what do you think the, the climate is as far as church plants? How is it going? I mean, are we having more wins than losses or are we, sure. what's the life of a uh, church? Plan you know, typically? one of the challenges is that, you know, lots of churches are, lots of churches are closing around Canada. Uh, that's not always a bad thing because some of those churches probably should, should be closing, but uh, some churches that shouldn't, shouldn't be closing are closing. And I, I don't know the actual statistics, but the number of churches that we are 
planting. I don't know if it matches the numbers that are closing at this moment, um, which is which is hard. So we, we would like to see uh, gospel-centered pastors in pulpits around the country, uh, in churches, so that they're renewed. We'd like to see new church, churches planted in places where the gospel needs to go forth in power, uh, and maybe places not where, where there, there might be lots of churches there, but not lot, lots of ones that, that believe um, the gospel and believe in the proclamation of the word and exposition of the Bible and stuff like that. Um, so is it, how's it going? Uh, I don't know. I mean, my feeling is probably about a five out of 10. So is that media, is that bad? I guess not. I mean, it's better than two. But I think that there are a lot. There's so much room in Canada to be um, to have more uh, faithful churches proclaiming Christ, and there's not that many of us that are uh, pushing forward that because it takes risk and money and all sorts of challenges. And uh, that, yeah, that's why I think I'm, I thank God for C2C Network and also for the the Multiply Conference and what they're doing there. Good fun. Was it good fun? Yeah, sure. I heard they had Lucky's Donuts there. Did they have? Lucky's I have no idea what they had. Oh, I do. I don't know any of this, this foodie stuff. How do you know they had Lucky's Donuts? Maybe that was a different conference. Yeah, maybe you just. Our youth pastor Luke Friesen said he was at West Side again. They had donuts down there. Oh yeah. Oh, and they're so good. Are they? Oh yeah. Cardam's Donuts is good in the city. Just so you know. Mm-hmm. But there it is. Uh, for those of you who are looking for donuts, there is a movement these days of the of the special donut. Right, so Daniel, when I was in Chicago, you turned us on to Stan's Donuts. Oh man, did which I ever. is quite an experience, guys. I was still a little bit of Kyle was you. We had some Stan's Donuts. Remember, yeah. did you yeah. have the buttermilk bar? Is that the one? I don't know what we had, oh. Kyle. What did you have? It was like a Huckleberry one or something like that that we had. I remember thinking, that guys. Was I'll one. be honest. I'm a little bit I offended care. that I did not get invited to that. That was my stomping ground for four years. Yeah, we should have taught you uh, brought you along as just a just a tour guide. Tour guide. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, Jeff, not only do you speak at conferences, you preach this last weekend. So that's a busy kind of week for you, week in a bit. Yeah, sure. But uh, we're back. We're in Abe. Uh, anything you wanted to add from your sermon from Abe? Things that Do you know, sometimes you come across these passages of Scripture that you're asked to preach on, and you first start. I was talking to Sean Hildebrand, who spoke on Sunday night about this in the office, and he, he said, man, when I first read this passage, I thought, what in the world am I going to say about it? And then he, you know, you get into studying it and stuff. And then he was sitting there on Sunday saying, or Saturday afternoon and then Sunday. And he said, what in the world, how in the world am I going to limit what I have to say about this? So it's, it's, it's cool. It's the beauty of the Bible, right? That there's so much there, so many themes that are running through, uh, the passages and, uh, so much that can be said about the emulation of certain characters and, the you know, not emulation of other characters and how Christ is the goal of everything that's written. And yeah, it's, it's, um, the Bible's great that way. So yes, I could say a lot more about it. Um, a lot, lot, a lot, lot, lot more. So what stuck out to me was the parallels between Adam and Eve and and then Sarah and Abe or Sarai, as she was called this time. Uh, can you comment on that a little bit more? Cause that was, I'd never put those together. And yeah. I've been noticing this in Abe, though, is we have lots of allusions to Genesis, but also parallels with the coming Exodus story yep. with Egypt, uh, and then ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so uh, a lot of the language that's used, so the passage that we talked about, if you weren't at church, the the passage that we talked about was Genesis 16, basically where uh, Sarah and uh, 
and Abram decide that they're going to they're going to try to fulfill God's promises for 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 descendants through their own means because time's ticking away and she's not had a baby and uh, they've been given this promise and of course not to have a baby is to have reproach upon you that everybody looked down on you that kind of stuff mm-hmm. so they decide that they're going to they're going to do this by uh, using her um, slave basically her maid servant uh, Hagar and use her as as basically a surrogate mother and uh, the you know from the culture point of view this is the point I was trying to make through the sermon is from the culture's point of view like this was this was what you would have done like everybody would have nodded and said yes absolutely this is the way you should do it and yet there are these hints in the passage that God was not excited about this. And one of the hints was these, these illusions, A L L U S I O N, right? Illusion, not illusion. Alluding like, to something. Like David Copperfield, I'm going to make this disappear. <laughs> I mean, illusion, meaning alluding back to Genesis chapter, some of the very, the verbs, the verbiage, the language, the actual phrases in it are actually the same things that were said in Genesis three, when God comes and he judges uh, Adam and Eve for what they did. So there is this deliberate move on the part of the author to echo uh, Genesis 3 in Genesis 16. So you're, you're supposed to read this and go, wait a minute, this actually, all this language sounds so familiar, really familiar. You're supposed to draw your attention back to Genesis 3, which means, of course, that what they're doing is is the same thing that Adam and Eve were doing. That's the point that the author is basically making, is that they're doing the same thing, which is ultimately, you know, doubting the wisdom of God and doing things their own way. So that's what, that's ultimately what, what it was. As we read narrative, kind of a bigger picture question is how do we decide and differentiate between a description of something that's going on and a prescription? If we want to, if the scriptures aren't simply a story that, oh, that's interesting, but it's a story that should inform our lives. How do we navigate the descriptions of something compared to the prescriptions of what we should do? Well, my answer is author's intent. Like you can read for the intent of the author through, through, so for the means that I just, I, I, everybody knows that the author of Genesis is saying that the fall was not a good thing, right? Like just, you just read Genesis one to three and you come to the conclusion, oh, actually this was not a great thing for them to turn away from God. And it resulted in all, in fact, if you read it wider in Genesis, you realize that this one sin ends up compounding over and over again in the, you know, Cain and Abel, and then you get more violence and more violence till Genesis 6, where God's like, okay, I'm starting over, <laughs> you know, and he, and he wipes the whole earth clean and he starts over with Noah. Um, so the, the narrative arc of the book of Genesis is, is saying that what happened in Genesis 3 stinks. And so if you have verbiage in this passage that is linking back to Genesis 3, you can see the author basically tipping his hand saying, this is the this is not a good thing. So I'm saying that the, re- the reason I view it negatively and not positively, so see, some commentators actually didn't, like they, they say, ah, there's nothing wrong with what Sarah did, which I, to me just ignores all of, all of those illusions. But my answer to the question is, how do you determine whether or not it, you know, somebody's doing a good thing or bad thing in the Bible and whether you should emulate or not emulate it is, is whether the author is portraying it as a good thing or a bad thing, right? Or, or is he portraying Hagar as faithful here? Is he portraying Sarah as faithful? And the answer, the answer is, no, Sarah's not faithful because she's trying to, to manipulate and, with this ill-informed plan 
And Hagar is faithful because she's willing to listen to the word of the Lord, even though it's going to cost her probably a great deal. She's willing to listen to the word of the Lord, cast herself upon him and follow him where she, she's not sure where it's going to lead, right? All she knows is that he's a God who sees her and she's willing to follow a God like that. So in this story anyway, Hagar is a bit of a hero and Sarah and Abram are not heroes. So we can learn from them. However, if you take a wider framework, all of these passages are talking ultimately about, about Jesus. So when Hagar says something like, he's the God who sees me and he's the one who interrupts and this sort of thing, that ultimately the great interruption is in the incarnation of Jesus and the cross and God's actions in those ways. And so you can see the echoes of that as they carry through the rest of the Bible. Yes, right? So like I'm, I'm so what I'm saying is a lot of these passages, all these passages in the Old Testament have two levels to them, right? You have the the on the face thing, and you're trying to read the intent of the author there, and then you have the Holy Spirit uh, level, which is what I'd say that how how this story feeds into the wider framework of who Jesus is and how he came to be, and like like what there there, there are echoes through all throughout these stories of principles that find their culmination in Jesus. Right? You're nodding. Yeah, no, that's good. Okay. Yeah, that, that's um, one of the hard things I think sometimes about trying to apply scripture is differentiating between that, okay, what's being described and well, what's being prescribed. So and, in this passage itself, so here's God comes to Hagar and says, go back to this abuse, basically go back and submit to what I think we would call an abusive situation to, you know, being mistreated. That woman who's mistreated you, the way that uh, the Egyptians mistreat Israel. That that woman, I want you to go back. I want you to submit to her authority. Uh, with I mean, there's no there's nothing said there that oh, and I'll protect you from any like. I want you to go back. <laughs> uh, some people would read that and go, "See, I'm Hagar." Okay, and I want to know in what way you're Hagar there. Do you see? What I mean, that's mm-hmm. what Greg was saying a few weeks ago. Is what we call narcissism. You just read yourself straight into the passage. You have to ask yourself: Is the author holding up Hagar in, in what, in it, it, are you exactly like Hagar or what parts of Hagar's commitment are you supposed to follow the specifics of her going and submitting to, uh, to, to, uh, to, uh, an abusive person that God's not focused on that so much as he is the willingness to follow his word in this passage. Hmm. That's my point. Do you think we, as far as, uh, Hagar then submitting to Sarai, uh, do you think we underemphasize that oftentimes? Because we don't like, in North America especially, we don't like the idea of submission. Sure. I mean, <laughs> this is a little bit of a, it's a crazy call of God, right? Uh, you know, it's a it's a crazy call for the word of the Lord to come to uh, to Hagar and to call her to go back to the, to, to that place. And I want to make it clear, this is, I mean, I would say that, okay, so where do we get the word of the Lord? Like, you know, do you understand what I'm saying? So for her, she didn't have the written word of God to her. So the angel of the Lord shows up and he reveals himself to her and gives her this command that has the very authority of God. So my question is, where is it that we living in our day get the very authority of God? And my answer is I th- the Bible, I think. I think that that's the scripture. So it's it, the way I should apply this passage is to say, look, uh, the by that that the way that we receive this word, this authoritative word, is in Scripture, and so when the Scriptures call us to do something, morally speaking, that runs against the grain of our culture or even our understanding at points, 
we follow God and not our cultural, culturally defined ways. Like we, we, that's what it. That's a mark of what it means to be a Christian. Even if you don't know what's around the corner, you you end up surrendering surrendering your will to God, and say to Him, "I'm willing to follow you, even if I don't know all the answers to the questions, even if I can't see around. If there's no surety of my safety necessarily in the in the immediate, I'm willing to follow you, and be a be your disciple in that way." And I think that in this, in that sense, I think this passage is about discipleship. Mm-hmm. It's a great mark of trust to be able to, without knowing what's around the corner, even knowing that there might be some really hard things around the corner by going back in, in Hagar's case to say, it's better to go back to a real difficult situation and know that God is leading me there than to uh, disobey or, or, or avoid God's call. It's safer to go into a hard places with God than avoid hard places and flee from God. Yeah. So just to make this more of a contemporary thing then, because we, we look at, we want to see Scripture, and if we're directly not in line with Scripture, then obviously we want to realign ourselves to Scripture. Um, but what would you do in something? Yeah, but that, can I stop you there? Right, yeah. I agree with everything you just said. I just think that that's the, that's the pinch. That's the rub. Yeah. Is that we, we uh, the, the challenge somebody's going to walk away from my sermon is going to say, okay, okay, but practically speaking, how do I know, like, okay, the situations I face have to do with what job do we take, how, well, the situations I face, in terms of I used language of, like, uh, you know, roads in the woods or whatever, the situations I face oftentimes are difficult to discern between what's what's right and wrong. Right and wrong. Do you understand what I'm saying? So what I'm dealing with here, these are more, this is a moral thing. They've, she's got a sure word from the Lord. Do you understand? Yeah. So I'm not equating this with, hey, I had this sense the other day that I should go to this college and that college. I'm not equating what what happened with Hagar with that sense, because that's not the sure word of the Lord. The sure word of the Lord is in Scripture. And so what are we talking about there? Uh, and I tried to explain, you know, this is God's will for you, your sanctification, your abstention from some sexual immorality. So things, things that fit in the category of sexual immorality are things that you should abstain from. You're commanded in scripture to abstain from those things. And so even though our culture pushes us other directions and says, Oh, we should, you know what? There's all sorts of good reasons why it is that you shouldn't remain chaste in your sex, you know, total chaste meaning, you know, stay away from, from uh, sexual activity outside of marriage. I, I, you have a choice to make. You have to choose between whether or not that's going to be, you know, you're going to go with the wisdom of God, even though you still have questions about it that are culturally informed questions that you're like, I don't know how this is going to work out. And you trust the Lord instead of trusting your own wisdom. That's my point. And I think this passage is point pushing that overall point. Yeah. Cause where I want to go with this, with the kind of modern context is I, I think about this a lot. I, I hear it about it a lot. And I just wonder if it's going to be, you know, a big part of my ministry, especially with young adults is uh, marijuana hmm. because you could say, you know, there's no verse that says do not smoke weed, but, and they would say, well, there's the, do not get drunk with wine. Okay, great. But you can drink and not get drunk. Can so you can smoke you... weed without being high? I don't know. No, I don't either. So that's... Well, I've been told by some people, the answer to that's no, you, that, that by definition, smoking marijuana makes you high. You get, you get high from that. Uh, I don't know. Listen, I, I'm not an expert in this by any means. If somebody could establish for me that there was a non-high, non-inebriated, in other words, okay, state 
I would be open to the idea of treating marijuana like it was alcohol. But what I've been told from people who have had a history of smoking pot is that that's not the case. So if that, okay, so here's the thing. I would then say, so you have a, you have a deliberate word from the Lord. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. In other words, don't let anything, any substance control you other than the spirit itself. Then I would say, okay, unless it's for medication, because we take medication all the time that, that, uh, you know, sometimes puts us under some sorts, you know, like I, sometimes you have NyQuil that affects me in that, that kind of way. And so you're using for medical purposes, which is a whole nother conversation about marijuana. But if you're doing recreationally, I would say, right. Don't do it. I think it's actually a sin to do that. But the whole culture is saying to you, no, 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 it's fine. It's no big deal. And you see it on the billboards. It's better than smoking cigarettes or whatever it is. What I'm ultimately saying is that this is a place where I think you're just going to have to choose to trust the Lord and and run against the cultural wisdom of your day. Actually, this Thursday, as we're recording this on a Tuesday, uh, the 22nd, uh, there's going to be a Facebook Live event um, called Let's Talk Marijuana. That's going to be at the Clover Theater in Surrey. Um, John Newfeld from Back to the Bible will be a participant in that discussion. So there will be a live event of uh, presentations and discussion uh, there in Surrey, uh, but also be Facebook Live. Facebook so you can Live. watch it anywhere in the world that has the internet. So what do they type in on Facebook Live or uh, website to find it? Um, if you just type in Let's Talk Marijuana, um, that should get you there. And let's, put let's, back to the Bible, too, to, to narrow down the search results. <laughs> so back I'm, to the Bible. I'm trying, I'm trying uh, it out right now. Talk. Can I just go on a record to say that you just recommended people search for marijuana on the Internet? Is that what you oh, heard? No, Andrew? it's the first one. Kyle's right. Wait, no, it's not. Is that what you heard? I, Daniel, I heard Kyle recommend. <laughs> yeah. Recommend you know what? No, marijuana. I think, let's talking about marijuana. I think he did. Hmm. I got a cannabis talk kit. Drug-free kids, Canada. Yeah. Well, both are probably pretty no, good. No, but the, that one showed up, though. The clip was the first one, and I think then yeah. they got... Uh, With your Google search. Oh, here we go. Let's talk marijuana. Back to the Bible. Yeah, yeah back to the Bible is probably the key uh, narrowing phrase in that search. Yeah. <laughs> but the principles is there, right? I mean, the stuff that we fa- We face decisions like this all the time, and we think, oh, the Bible doesn't have anything to say about it. I actually think the Bible has all sorts of things to say about it. If we understand the moral implications of the questions we're asking in the in the present day, you know, yeah. yeah so the the main question isn't necessarily can I do this or how much or how little should I do it. It's more of, um, as Paul says at the end of First Corinthians ten, you know, whether you eat or drink, and maybe we could put in parentheses smoke, do it all for the glory of God. So if if you're looking at it through the lens of how can I show that God is great. And in that, how can I love other people to love God and love others? Um, if that becomes the main lens through which you're kind of thinking through these questions, then that might, you know, shape the answers in a slightly different direction. Mm-hmm. And that's Crossridge. Isn't that your your guys, uh, your boy, uh, Lee Francois? Yeah, Lee Francois is the pastor of Crossridge Church. He and Andy Frew. And uh, Lee... Uh, Actually, was part of the multiply stuff, and and we have been we've planted a church together with him and, and Westside Church with Cross, Crossridge and Westside at Tri City Church in uh, Port Coquitlam. So yeah, we have a lot to do with Lee. Lee's a friend of the show. Lee is a friend of 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 us. Yes, I'm not sure if he likes the show. We should have him on the show sometime. I, we should, we should interview him on the show. We should yes. get. We need to get Lee on the show uh, because we know Lee. We know you're listening to this. And so if you're, you know, just shoot us an email. Thank you for that, Lee. And we look forward to that email. Guys, I think uh, we've, run, we've run our time to the end. This was a pleasant 
uh, discussion. A very civil discussion. One of the more civil civil. ones we've had. Yeah, we're... And it's just, what an amazing thing having Kyle Meeker back. Dr. Kyle Meeker. The doctor. If you see Kyle around the church, would you just please call him the doctor? Call him the good doctor? The doctor. (laughs) I call him the doctor. Before we we switch off, though, who is your favorite doctor? Okay, is it Pepper? You're a fan of the Dr. Pepper, aren't you? I, I I really liked Dr. Pepper for a small segment of my life, maybe, I don't know, six months. Was and that when I you lived like, in Texas? No, uh, it was actually when I was in university. Okay, because yeah. people in Texas, they go a little crazy for their Dr. Pepper. Cause that's, yeah, it's, that's where, that's it where it's from. Yeah. still was, I think, primarily made yeah, down there. Um, my favorite doctor may be... Jay. Maybe Dr. Seuss. <gasps> nice. Oh, wow. How's that? Yes. Why, yes. Don't you, why don't you leave us... Ugh. Can you give us a line give from us Dr. A, Seuss? Yeah, leave us with a line from... <laughs> I, I don't know if I can quote anything, but every once in a while when I'm talking to my kids, I'll say something and it will sort of be a rhyme. And I'm like, oh, that kind of sounds like Dr. Seuss. I, don't, I, don't I wonder that's, how he did it. I don't yeah. know if that's so uh, encouraging or profound. It sounds kind of trivial sometimes when you do that, but such is life. Mm. Green eggs and ham. Green eggs and ham.